0: Should have said all of my controversial stuff before they turned on the recording. Three three twelve. So, uh, what I was going to speak about today, actually, my notes were left in Oklahoma. So, we're doing a little bit of a switcheroo, and I'm going to go a different direction. It'll it'll touch on that, and we'll kind of wrap up probably with the idea of what it means to abide in prayer and how to look at prayer differently. But what I want to do first is just kind of um, talk about prayer as presence, and then. Um, One of my favorite books is by a guy named Peter Kreft uh, talking about prayer for beginners. And I love that idea because we're all beginners at prayer. And uh, what he says is that you're always a beginner at prayer. And so that's really cool because if you kind of set up the idea that you'll always be a beginner, you'll you'll never become an expert um, at prayer, I think it it gives you more motivation to pray. And I think sometimes um, we hear people pray like in church. And basically what they're doing is they're preaching through prayer. They're praying a really eloquent sermon to God, and it sounds really pre- impressive. And what happens most times we hear that and go, I could never do that, so prayer must not be um, for me. And so uh, we're going to kind of tackle some of those things and then just kind of end um, with some ideas. And what I don't want to do is give you um, a lot of stuff we hear in prayer, try to give you really easy ways to pray. And I think in some ways um, it's probably does more harm than good, because easy ways to pray means we just, we have this little acrostic that we do, and then we check the box and we're done, Uh, rather than really discovering prayer and really like diving in deep into prayer, and um, it sounds really big, but it's actually pretty simple, Um, so I just want to start in Exodus 33, 12, Moses is talking to God, he says this, Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know by by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Interesting that God connects there his presence and rest together. And he said to him, if, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And it just kind of goes into God showing Moses his glory. But I love the, the distinction of a people of presence. And so you'll find all throughout the Bible, um, from the beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, to God meeting Abraham, to the children of Israel, to the early church, that the people of God are always a people of presence. What marks us from other people is actually the manifest presence of God in our midst. Um, And you see this when Moses received the tablets. If you remember, there's thunder and lightning, and it sounded like loud voices and rushing wind. Um, And you find God doing miraculous things all throughout the Old Testament. You find at Pentecost in Acts 2, again, fire, wind, noise, uh, the Holy Spirit comes down, people speak in tongues. It it literally is the thing that separates Christians from all other other religions in the world is the presence of God uh, through prayer. And and it's a a fascinating thing that Moses said this. He said, what's going to separate us from every other religion? Because every other religion does like worship. Every other religion has rules that you have to abide by. Every other religion sets up this culture. uh, What's going to set us apart? And God says, my presence will set you apart. They'll know you by my presence. And really all prayer is, just at its base level, is is setting yourself before the presence of God and inviting him to speak to you, inviting him to work, inviting him to act um, both in you, and for you, and through you. And so we have to kind of change our minds about prayer in some ways. Uh, some of us do. Some of you might have had a really healthy model of prayer growing up, either through your parents or through your local church. Um, some of us may not have, and some of us may even have a little bit of a distorted view of prayer. And, uh, because what prayer becomes sometimes is like a grocery list. Right? You write down all your needs and you sit down and you open that and you say, God, please help Susie. God, please change my boyfriend. God, please do this. You know what I mean? It's, like, and it's all about asking God to do things for you. And it's really nothing about an actual relationship with God. And so the presence is the key. And I love, I love that he says, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Um, and I just want to connect that, that idea of prayer and rest. For the most part, prayer should be really restful, uh, and this is going to sound weird, until it isn't. And when prayer isn't restful, I believe that's when prayer moves into, like, battle. So you talk about spiritual warfare and prayer, praying for those who are unsaved, praying for miraculous things, praying for, for uh, God's kingdom to win against darkness and evil. And so you have kind of two sides, but it begins with rest in the presence of God, which fills you up, which you gain power, you get perspective, um, you really get um, words from God that, that uh, guide you in your walk. Um, and, and most of our prayer has been petition, right? Has been asking rather than practicing the presence of God. And Moses just kind of gives us a great place to, to start there. And I love when Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. I love it. He says, we refuse to go anywhere where God's presence isn't leading us. And to know that there has to be a real significant relationship there to know where God's presence is going. So uh, I just want to do from this book, 10 Compelling Reasons to Pray. So what I want to do, just first of all, is just convince you that prayer is important, that prayer works. And I think once you're convinced that prayer um, has to be a part of your life, then you can go to a place of practicing it. Right, it's like the person who finds out like they eat really terribly and terribly, terribly, and then they find out they have diabetes, and then it's all of a sudden, oh, guess what? Your eating habits are going to change, right? Or somebody has a heart attack; they have a massive heart attack, and it's like, guess what? No more burgers and fries and shakes and all this stuff. Like you have to change, and I think there's something about like the idea of prayer. We have to get it deep inside of us that says we can't do this Jesus thing, being His disciple being a light in the world, do all these things if we don't pray. Like, there, there just isn't a, such a thing as a non-praying Christian. Uh, so there, so you have to kind of get into this idea of there's certain things that Christians do. Um, and, and so one of those is prayer. One of those is be a part of the church. I love uh, Cyprian of Carthage says, he who, who, ha- who doesn't have the church for a mother doesn't have Jesus for a father. Like, you can't be a Christian without the church, right? The church is the body of believers. This, this is the church right here. Uh, So if it's just one of us, we wouldn't be the church, but together we make up the church. There's certain things that I just want you to be convinced about prayer, um, that it has to happen. So why pray is just kind of the question. Um, The first one that comes through, is, is, and I love this, because only prayer can save the world. And this generation, your guys' age group coming through, is probably the most passionate generation I've ever heard about saving the world. Now, you could argue whether or not the direction that's being taken to try to save the world is correct or not, uh, right? Because uh, a lot of us think we're going to save the world by ending poverty or save the world by clean water or save the world by uh, microeconomics and finance and all this stuff, whereas Jesus says he's the one who saves the world through his death and resurrection, through sending the church out on mission. So, I mean, there's some argument about that. but, But I know you guys think about changing the world probably more than any group of people. Uh, huge dreams, which I love, it's awesome. But the other side of that is, is prayer is what actually changes the world. And this this is a, a fascinating thing, and it really, um, to me, shows how much of what God does in us is counterintuitive. Is to think that prayer can actually change things, and prayer can actually save and transform the world, because prayer seems like a withdrawal. Right? And we always say, don't withdraw from the world, like, engage, like press in. Um, and I love the story of, of the guy, I, I don't remember his name, I've got his book on my phone here, I could look it up. He uh, basically started the Welsh Revival uh, in the early 1900s, and I mean, hundreds and thousands of people were saved in this revival. Like, entire uh, cities and really the entire country was absolutely transformed by this revival. And after about five or ten years of it, he quit preaching so he could spend the rest of his life praying. Because he absolutely believed that he could do more for the kingdom of God by praying than he could by preaching. It's a, just a fascinating thing that the more he grew to know God, the more he realized prayer was actually the most important thing he could do Um and I just want to read this quote here. It says, some say that prayer in the spiritual life or the inner life or the soul's private love affair with God is an unaffordable luxury today or an irresponsible withdrawal from the pressing public problems of our poor, hurting world. I say just the opposite, that nothing, nothing is more relevant and responsible, that nothing else can ever cure the, our sick world except saints, and saints are never made except by prayer. Nothing but saints can save our world because the deepest root of all the world's diseases is sin, and saints are the antibodies that fight sin. I love that idea that Christians, you guys, like a saint. And I love that he uses the word saint because we kind of use it as a pejorative or a negative term a lot of times. So oh, he's just saint. They think they're a saint, whatever, you know. And he's using it as such a good word. A saint is someone who knows Jesus, who's been transformed and sanctified. And he's saying saints are actually made through prayer because God speaks to you, and that saints, you guys, are the antibodies to sin. Isn't that cool? Like what a what a cool metaphor that on your campus right now that you're actually like antibodies in the body going out to battle sin to tell the truth to speak about Jesus to be light to love to be kind to do all these things uh, to counteract the sin and evil and darkness in your midst what a, what a cool thing um, he says nothing but prayer can make saints because nothing but God can make saints and we meet God in prayer okay so if you want to change if you want to be transformed. All of those things happen in the process of prayer, of placing yourself before God for his presence to work in you. So he ends with prayer is the hospital for souls where we meet Dr. God. Like God is the doctor, we're the patient, and prayer is the process where those two things come together and God can work on us. And it's amazing that in my life I've had more transformation in five minutes of prayer than I have in hundreds of thousands of minutes of listening to preaching. So, like, actually, you know, what I'm doing right now is so much less important than you spending five minutes today out on the lakeside reading the scriptures and just trying to listen to God, just, like, pressing into his presence. Uh, And what we do a lot of times, we spend a lot of time listening to humans talk and very little time trying to listen to God. Um, But we have to start to believe that prayer actually changes things. Because if you believe it, you'll do it. I mean that's just the bottom line is is whatever you don't do you don't really believe, um, and and that's one of those things where we have to we have to just kind of start to to believe is that um, if I say I believe it but don't do it it's it's literally it's worthless um, uh, it doesn't mean anything unless I'm driven and motivated to do it so number one prayer can actually save the world and he says it's the only thing uh, another reason to prayer is because God pray is to, because God commands it. Uh, and it's not simply like a self-improvement uh, uh, program, but it's, it's like God has told us to pray. Remember when Jesus turns over the tables in the temple because they're selling and they're, they're oppressing people? And he says right after that, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, that God has actually called his people to be a people of prayer in the world and so it's interesting because a lot of people talk about prayers an and invitation. And he says uh, invitation is actually too weak of a word that we're actually commanded to pray. And this is really interesting. Just I'm going to read this statement here. It says, We pray to obey God, not to play God. So you, you pray to obey God, not to play God, not to change uh, necessarily his mind about things, although we see God's mind change. Uh, if you read the Old Testament quite a bit through the pleas and the prayers of people, but we don't do it for that. We pray not to change God's mind, but to change our own. Not to command God, but to let God command us. We pray to let God be God. It's this way of, of allowing God to speak, allowing God to have a say. We pray to obey, not to play God. We pray not to change God's mind, but to change our own not to command God, but to let God command us. And the interesting thing is, uh, it says this: prayers are obedience to God, even when it asks God for things, for God has commanded us to ask them. Isn't that interesting? Matthew seven says, uh, "Ask and you will fi- uh, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open." God tells you to ask for certain things. Right. So even when you start to ask, you're asking for the things God told you to ask for. Right. You ask for daily bread. You ask for God's forgiveness in your life. You ask for his, all these things that God desires to give you, you're asking for, but even the asking was commanded. It's, it's this idea where prayer isn't optional. It's not uh, a thing that only super Christians do. right? It's not like, okay, 30 years from now, I'll have all my life taken care of well enough to where I'll feel good about praying. And the cool thing is if you start to understand prayer, you'll realize that prayer is really the only place where you feel really good about yourself. Because when you pray, it's literally allowing God's love to just come over you, understand your identity in him as a child, as an heir, as a co-laborer, all these things the New Testament says about you, the new creation. That prayer isn't the place of judgment, right? It's not the place where God condemns you. It's the place where you literally come into this forgiveness and this freedom. Um, And so he commands you to pray so that you can experience all those things. And and I think sometimes what's happened in our lives is we feel too guilty about things that are happening in our lives to pray, and so our guilt about stuff that we do or stuff that's happened to us says, "We we don't." Man, I just I'm not clean enough, and so and in some ways the church is kind of messed up when we've kind of told people it's like go clean up before you take a shower, right? Nobody would do that. Nobody, you know, you get clean in the shower, not before, right? And so the church is where people get clean. You don't clean up to come to church. You don't clean up to enter God's presence. You enter God's presence so he can make you clean. right? And so it's this thing where God commands it because he knows that's the place um, where you can change. And it's a place where he can be that in and for you. Uh, So why does does God command prayer? Um, I love this. Whatever God does, he does for good reasons. And just these three things. Prayer gives truth to our mind. Goodness to our will and beauty to our heart. Prayer gives truth to our mind, goodness to our will, and beauty to our heart. Yes, prayer gives truth to our mind, goodness to our will, and beauty to our heart. And let's be honest, uh, in the world we live in, we need heavy doses of truth, goodness, and beauty, right? Those things that inspire the human soul, that connect us to the transcendent, that bring us out of kind of the muck and mire that we live in every day, and like lift us out, even of the mundane, right? Of just hammering your homework every day, like working a job to pay your bills, doing all that stuff, like prayer is what lifts us into the thought that... that um Remember what what Solomon says that it's all vanity. He talks about in Ecclesiastes, just toil and work and sweat, and he said it's meaningless. And and it's it's not meaningless if you pray, right? It's not meaningless if, if during the middle of that you're giving it to God, right? It's not meaningless if if you pause in the midst of all of it and just say, God, I'm I just feel weary and beat down. Would you just refresh my soul? I just, I just need a I need a touch. I need presence. Um, and one of the things that, that I've done that's interesting is I've, I found myself, I don't know if anybody here reads the news or watches the news, so I, just, I just stopped all that. Um, because it was like, why do I need to know what's going on in the world in all the worst ways, <laughs> right? It's like rape, murder, war, I mean, all the worst of the worst things that happen every day play all day long on the TV, and they fill our news and our internet feeds and all these things. And then I think about what Paul says in Philippians, whatever's true, right, and honorable, think on these things. And and it's talk about goodness, beauty, and truth, like trying to fill our mind with those things. And prayer puts us in the place to actually engage these things uh, by engaging both the scripture and the presence of God as he meets us in there um says in prayer we we become like the god we pray to and conform to we catch the good inflection or infection of godliness by contact so it's actually like engaging god's goodness starts to um seep into our hearts as well right which is why paul gives that command to think about these things because what you think about you become right so if you think about all the bad things in the world probably you're going to be pretty pessimistic you're going to say, man, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. It's terrible out there. Like, right? But if you read the scriptures, you're going to be way more hopeful. You're going to see a lot more goodness in the world and beauty. You're going to hear truth, and you're going to be able to go out with that. I love it. It says, it gives beauty to our heart because it plunges us into the heart of God, which is the eternal energy of infinite joy. Uh, love that. The heart of God is the inter- eternal energy of infinite joy. And so, so here's, here's what I know. I know in, in this day and age, like, I meet a lot of people who talk about finding meaning and purpose, especially young people, um, that talk about wanting to do great things in the world, like change the world, save the world, do all these things, and yet I'm not meeting very many young people who have true joy, like abundant life, where Jesus says, anyone who comes to me who is like, who's thirsty, I'll fill them up with, with living water, and it'll just come flowing out of them. And so it makes me question, like, how many of these people have actually engaged the Spirit of God, the presence of Jesus, like, are being filled with His joy, and it's just, like, flowing out of them, right? That's what happens in the presence of God. That's why, you know, when you're at a retreat like this, and you get done with worship one night, and it's powerful, and it just felt like God's presence were there, was there. It's like, everyone walks out, like, light steps, you know, and they're just, like, smiling, hugs, high fives. You go later, you, like, get snacks, or grab coffee, or whatever, and it just feels like there's this joy that comes from the presence of God. Um, and the sad thing is that most of the time we wait for retreats to experience that. Uh, and it becomes these mountaintop experiences rather, rather than an everyday life with Jesus. Jesus said, I come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Like it's there. He says it's, it's there. And so what we see in Jesus, we see the practice of that says Jesus withdrew to a lonely place to pray. Right? This constant communion, I I do only what I hear my Father in heaven speaking. He's talking about this constant communion with God. The presence of God was real in Jesus' life. Um, And we obviously see in his life truth, goodness, and beauty from that presence. Um, The next one, um, we should pray because uh, God's honor deserves it and in fact demands it. So prayer is about God's work in the world and our response to it. And um, to not pray, to not have communion with God is to receive the greatest gift in the history of the world and then turn your back on the giver. Um, And I've been putting it this way with our church lately, is to say, um, if your relationship with God were a marriage, you would probably be on the brink of divorce right now. (laughs) Right? Based on the amount of time you spend, based on how much you know him, based on the way your life is lived, Um, that if I treated Annie the way I treat God sometimes, the way I neglect him, uh, the way I don't do things that are right by him, like literally our relationship would be in major trouble. Um, And it's interesting how we just don't, don't really see that God's honor is on the line here, like his gift of Jesus on the cross, of this entire world for us to worship in, to be a part of, to build culture, to have a meaningful life, to love other humans. All this stuff is like, God just wants it to culminate in a grateful worshiping heart. Um, Like, that's what he desires for you. And so many times we just think that it's just kind of an optional thing or something that God's called certain people to do rather than something that everybody should be doing. Everybody should be responding. Um, I love this statement. It says, um, okay, to put it most simply, God is God, the absolute reality, infinite perfection, more massively real than the universe itself and more worthy than all the ideals together ever conceived by human minds. If God is not this, then God is not God, but only something like Zeus, something finite, uh, some finite thing in our world or something like a good idea, some finite thing in our mind. But interesting kind of the, the idea that God's either infinitely worthy of worship and of your desire, and of your pursuit, where it's really just kind of a good idea that gives you good feelings. But for the most part, you can kind of take or leave on a daily basis. You can either engage or not, it doesn't really matter. And it says, thus we, we should pray because prayer is the most realistic thing in the world to do. I want you to catch that. Prayer is the most realistic thing in the world to do. If God is the most real thing, in the world, then prayer is the most real thing you can do, and so, so right. So we're trying to get away from the idea that prayer is this, uh, what you would call surreal or ethereal, you know, ethereal thing. To prayer is actually the most real thing you can do. If God is actually real, prayer is the most real thing you can do to engage His presence. Um, and all way he talks about is like, if God is real, then. Um, uh, what's going to happen is is what we do here, what we're practicing here, is actually what we're going to live forever in heaven. And so this is like the dress rehearsal, right? This is where we get to practice praying, worshiping, loving each other, being kind, sharing our resources. So when you start uh, to read about... Uh, well, what most people call the end times or um, eschatology. If you read Revelation 21 and 22, if you read Isaiah 9, if you read these books that talk about someday Jesus is going, going to come back, the new heavens and the new earth, says in Isaiah that they'll buy without money, uh, right? That, that there'll be light there without the sun or the moon. Like all of these things start to happen. Revelation says there'll be no death, no tears, no sin, no disease that actually we'll all live in the great city together, love, harmony, shalom, this idea. So like what Jesus inaugurated in the kingdom of God and in the church is actually a glimpse of that thing, right? So when you read Acts two forty-two through 47, where it says they broke bread in their homes, they prayed together, they worshiped daily in the temple, uh, they were of one heart and one mind, uh, they lived with righteousness, right? They were like getting rid of sin in their lives and they shared their possessions, it's like this glimpse of what heaven will be like someday. And so actually prayer is part of the dress rehearsal for worship that will happen someday for all eternity. And what's interesting is to, is to believe that somehow we could live today as if that didn't matter and then somehow enjoy it forever. <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, it really is kind of fooling ourselves to think um, that we want heaven when we read in, in the Bible of what heaven is. Um, but the cool thing is it says that actually what's happening in heaven right now is accessible today through engaging the presence of God. That we can actually, and, and it's not accessible all the time for everything because there's sin in the world, there's evil and darkness, all those things. But what happens is we start to practice those things, and those things become signposts. So, so what I see is like I see a group of believers here today that could go back to a campus and say we could live in such a way that it would show our uh, fellow students and our faculty and all these people that God is real by the way we love each other, by how kind we are to each other, by how we forgive sins, not only each other's, but others around us. right? Our worship and our prayer show that God's real and we speak to him on a daily basis. And like, it would just be really cool to start to think about those kind of things, that prayer is actually the most real thing you can do. Number five... Um, remembering the facts of of death and heaven gives us an even more pressing reason to pray and and that's that we don't have an infinite amount of time Um, that all of us are one day closer to home uh, than we were yesterday and I know this is hard to grasp when you're a college student because life seems infinite and it seems like this is going to be forever and we're all going to live a long time and all these kind of things but um, it's just not true Um, and so we have to learn to pray because what we, what we say is, is it's urgent, right? All these things we think about, other people's souls, their lives, like all these things are, are urgent. One of my favorite things from my childhood was um, my dad was a pastor, so we'd have revivals at our church. And I loved when the old pastors would come, like the really old guys, right? Because you'll, you've never met a passionate preacher like somebody who's 75 or 80 who knows they're really close to death. And I mean, I mean like these guys would come in and they would sweat and cry and yell and do everything they could to present Jesus in a way that somebody might respond because they just knew, like, time is short. And like, I just meet people who say, like, I just want to see as many people come to know Jesus as possible. Um, and, it, and it's really fascinating to watch that, the realization that time is short. And what needs to happen is for all of us to realize that and say my time is short, your time is short. Uh, whether you live another five years or whether you live another 50, uh, Kirk said it today, is that life goes so fast. And I mean, it's, it's crazy for me to think I was at your stage in life right now, you know, 18 years ago. <laughs> and I don't feel very old, but it's like, that was a long, that's a long time. Like I was literally in college 18 years ago. So, I mean, it's interesting when you start to think about the time and what's really important, what you spend your time doing Um, so time is short. Number six is kind of in in a different direction is that prayer is delightful. And this is, this is one that you have to press into. And again, you have to begin, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. And how you pray determines kind of how delightful it is, right? If it's a chore, something that your dad told you to do to check something off a list, it's not going to be delightful, right? If you get up and say, I have to do my quiet time today because Jeremy's going to ask me this week, did you read your Bible? I have to say yes. Like, it's, it is not going to be delightful. Um, but if you pray because you have a desire for God, and so this is, this is what I've been praying for myself lately, just out of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's just praying for God to give me such a desire, such a hunger for his presence, for his power, um, that I would desire it above all things. So I I would rather um, spend time with God than spend time with other people. I'd rather spend time praying than turn on the TV, right? I would rather spend time praying than watch the Thunder game. And I mean, it, it really starts to vet your loyalties and vet what your heart really desires. Does my heart really desire the power and presence of God, or does it desire the world? And Kirk said it today. A lot of us are one foot in the world, one foot in the church, Right? And we're trying to figure out how we can do both. And, and, and again, if I can just speak to where you guys are at, the, the culture and the climate of where you guys are growing up, I, I just see this so much. It might be different in California because we live in Oklahoma. But I see so many young people desire so badly to follow Jesus and be cool. And let me just tell you, it's not possible. Because <laughs> if you read the Gospels and you go out into the world and actually do them, you will not be cool. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, right? I mean, he says, if you go out and live the truth of the gospel, people are not going to always receive it with kindness. They're not always going to think it's cool. Um, And so there's lots of things that are cool that we can claim as Christians, like it's cool to dig wells in Africa. It's cool to save orphans. It's cool to fight against human trafficking. But the next step, somebody who thinks that's cool, tell them that Jesus was the son of God and that desires their repentance and wants to forgive their sins. I mean, like, literally, you will be go, go from being cool to, like, pariah, right? They're like, oh, that, that's one of those Christians who are crazy, and they're intolerant, and they're all these things. I mean, it's really interesting. And so um, it's, just, it's just fascinating to see how this all works together, your hunger and thirst. But once you start to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for his presence, prayer does become delightful, um, and I love this, for even though our prayer contact with God may almost be infinitely poor, the God we thus contact is infinitely rich. So isn't it cool that we bring God our poorest efforts, but even in those, God meets us? And as that happens, that starts to change around, right? Our poor efforts become pretty good efforts, better efforts. Like you know, It's this thing as God meets us in that. It's amazing how the delight of it starts to motivate us. Um, and really starts to see how it can work. It says, God is indeed a perfectionist about our end. You must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, but he's a pragmatist about our beginning. I love that. So God's a perfectionist about the end result in you, for you to be perfect as he is perfect, for you to be holy as he is holy, but he's a pragmatist. He's really practical about the beginning. He realizes you're not going to be an expert at the beginning, so don't even try. Um, Just delight in the fact that he's asked. So I look at it like um, if you were in the technology world, let's say like social media, uh, and Mark Zuckerberg asked you to lunch, you could either worry about feeling like an idiot because he's so smart and as he talks, or you could just be like, how cool is it that Mark Zuckerberg asked me to lunch? That's amazing, and I'm probably going to make a fool of myself, and I'm going to geek out and all that stuff, and it's okay, but it's like he, he asked me to lunch wants me to have lunch with him, like he wants me to sit down with him and break bread, and like what an amazing thing like God desires so badly for your time, for your presence he doesn 't much care about what happens in the middle of that. The showing up part is like ninety nine percent at the beginning. He just wants you to show up, I mean, and he wants you to show up daily and even more than that, just asking him uh, to be present. In your life, showing up is is a huge part of that. Um, I love that he's a pragmatist about the beginning. And and I think that kind of thing uh, has to sink deeply in us in terms of like that God desires. Like God desires you to show up, God desires your presence. He wants to be around you. Um, And even if nothing earth shattering happens, um, so we can't always judge in the spiritual world by what we feel. Or what it seems like, right? So you might think, oh, I just spent five minutes today and just really tried to focus in on the presence of God and I didn't feel anything. That's okay. Life's not always about just feeling something or having something. It's not gonna be like, I just try to tell the guys I disciple, it's not gonna be Pentecost every single day, right? It's not like tongues of fire every time you pray are gonna land on your head and all these awesome things. It's, and it's the same thing about anything that matters. If you get married someday, Not every day of your life is going to be the wedding night, right? Like, because, I mean, it's just not. It's real life. What matters is showing up every morning, talking, having breakfast, coming home at night. And it's like, some days will be good, some days will be bad, some days will be phenomenal. But for the most part, it'll just be every day working really hard to be there, to be present, and to show up. I love Mother Teresa. It says, uh, one guy asked her one time, what do you do when you pray? Uh, She says, I listen. And he says, what does God do when you pray? And she says, he listens. And then you just see the guy's face really confused on the camera. (laughs) And he just moves on because he was was waiting for something powerful. And it's just like, no, I just set myself before God uh, and just kind of listen. Number seven, uh, prayer is the the way to know God. And this is Jesus' definition of eternal life. He says, this is eternal life, that they know thee, the only true God, John 17. So prayer is actually the way that you know God. Um, And so we have to differentiate between knowing about God and knowing God. Right? So, like, let's take Mark Zuckerberg for, for an example again. Because he's a celebrity, you might know a lot about him. You might have read his book. You might have watched the movie knowing how he started the company, what he's kind of like, all these kind of things. But you wouldn't know him like his best friend knows him, right? Because his best friend knows him, knows his fears, knows his loves, knows his desires, knows what he wants to do with the rest of it. I mean, all these things, you just know about God. And there's a lot of us that kind of dabble around the exterior, and we just know a lot about God, right? We grew up in church. We've heard a lot about God. But if, you know, like for me, the constant question is like, what is God saying to you? Not, well, not what do you know? What can you quote? What kind of theological abstract things that sound really impressive? What's God speaking to you? That's when you really know if you know God. Is you'll be, you'll literally start to hear his voice and not in an audible way or anything like that. It might be that way. And we'll put that past. But mostly, it's just God's presence and power, like speaking to you. He'll speak to you through the word. He'll speak to you through other people. He'll speak to you through the beauty of creation. But you'll begin to hear, uh, it says, the still, small voice of God. And that's when you start to know, like, I'm, I'm beginning to know God. I'm beginning to understand who he is, how he works, how he speaks to me, what he desires of my life. And prayer is literally the way to know that um, it says this, to know anyone, you must not just know thousands of things about him, but you must know him, you must meet him, you must spend time with him, uh, or as Brother Lawrence would say, practice his presence. I love this. Uh, One moment of prayer, of weak worship, confused contrition, tepid thanksgiving, or pitiful petition will bring us closer to God than all the books of theology in the world. I'm going to read that again. One moment of prayer... Of weak worship, confused contrition, tepid thanksgiving, or pitiful per- petition will bring us closer to God than all the books of theology in the world. Like, knowledge does not equal understanding. Understanding comes through God's presence and through prayer. Um, I love this. Job's friends said nothing but theologically correct truths, while Job was so hurt, desperate, and confused that he wondered whether God was really just. Right, And so this is what happens. As God sends you out into the world to be salt and light, to be messen- messengers, to be ambassadors, all these kind of things that we talk about, if you don't know God, you are going to get churned up. <laughs> because all the theological abstracts, all the stuff, all the knowledge, they all have counters in the world. But there's no counter for a spirit-filled presence of God Christian. I mean, there, there's literally, there's, there's nothing you can say against it because you cannot explain it. Right? So you can sit and argue all the time about the Bible, you can argue about evolution, you can argue about six-day creation, about is the Bible literal, all that stuff, but you can't argue about a transformed life. that somebody that like Acts, I think it's Acts 26, says that you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to light. And, and you've seen it, and it's probably happened to you, I hope, where you can like see that change. You can't argue against it, and theology can't touch that. To me, theology is the cherry on top that God gives us just to like, stimulate our minds. It's really good. But when you start to put it in the center, everything else begins to atrophy. Because theology, doctrine, beliefs about God can't give you life. Only God can give you life. Um, and so we shouldn't spend our time just trying to know things about God, spend our time knowing God. Um, one of the things, prayer, and in effect, knowing God is the essential prerequisite for leadership. So for those of us who want to be able to lead, to train others in the faith, to do those things, like, prayer is, is I mean, the number one thing. Um, and and this, is, this is where we get in trouble when we put people in leadership who aren't prayers. I mean, so you'll see, like, um, uh, and, it, and it could happen in your guys' group or it could happen in the church you grew up in when you see people who made it into a leadership position because they were wealthy, they were influential. They could speak really well. They had all the facts about God. And yet something about their presence just wasn't right. And, and it usually comes out in church splits, in anger, in pride, and greed, and all these things. And so we have to start to make prayer kind of the number one prerequisite for all these things. Uh, to say, if you want to be a leader, you have to be a prayer. Uh, it has to be a real part of your life, the presence of God. Um, the knowledge of God that comes only through meeting him face-to-face. And this is another thing is is in the church we've basically done, we read an exodus where Moses went up on the mountain and he wanted to see God's face, but uh, I can't remember if it's right before or right after that, where God invites everyone up on the mountain. Do you remember this part? And the Israelites say, no, 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 you go up on our behalf, right? We're scared. Last time your face was shining crazy. You know, it got weird. Um, You go do that and then come back and tell us what he says. And it's fascinating to see the way that the church has kind of become that in a lot of ways. Right? Okay, we're going to pay a pastor to pray all week and to read his Bible. And we'll show up on Sundays and he'll tell us what God's saying. And we've set up kind of this expert relationship that somehow he has this special connection with God. And guess what? I have no special connection with God. Zero. Every one of you have everything that I have. And in fact, the scripture says in Ephesians, you have all spiritual blessings available to you in Christ. Everything you ever need to become a prayer is right now. It's in your hand. I mean, literally, you don't need anything else for you to become like a prayerful person. It's all there. You just have to start, right? I mean, it's like you just have to start. Um, But we have to make that kind of the idea that, you know, if if I want to influence people, if I want to lead If I want to be um, significant in the kingdom, I've got to learn how to pray, because prayer is what moves the kingdom, right? Prayer is the the advance. It's our greatest weapon against the enemy is prayer. Um, Number nine, prayer is the only way to spiritual progress. Um, So again, like prayer is the place where we change and this is interesting, and so I've, I do it with the guys I disciple. And so this last week, I had a guy, we are talking about submission, the discipline of submitting to one another out of reference for Christ, submitting to your elders, submitting. Uh, you talk about spouses, submitting to one another, all these kind of things, right? And, and so the guy, he works at a job, and he says, my boss is an idiot. He just is, right? And so, like, no judgment, <laughs> just, just what I think. And I find it so hard, not just to submit but just to work for him just to respect him. So we started talking about okay, what would it look like for you to be able to submit to him? And so we just came up with him and said every single day he is your first prayer. Like you're going to pray God's blessing on this man, you're going to pray for, you're going to find out what his wife and kids names are. You're going to pray for them. You're going to pray for their prosperity, for their peace, for love and goodness of God to pour out. I mean, it's just like every day this is this is your job. And so it was, it was amazing the next week he said man, this week has been so good. And he's like, it's, it's really hard to have ill uh, will towards somebody that you're praying for constantly. And, it's like, and he said, God didn't need to change my boss. He needed to change me. And prayer is the point where you change. Prayer is the point where you soften. Um, and you can do this experiment uh, with me. I do it every week. <laughs> I, I fail at it a lot. But the difference in my day when I start it with prayer and the word And when I don't, and I mean, literally within the first hour, my wife could tell you, I'm just a little bit harsher, probably. I'm a little bit, you know what I mean, quicker to anger, like whatever it is, it just comes out because I'm not starting from a place of renewal. It says his mercies are new every morning. Well, they're new every morning if you grasp them, right? They don't just come, especially if you're not like a morning person. Uh, I actually am a morning person, but it's just really easy If I get up and I start living out of the flesh, right, uh, it's just ugly. But if I get up and I put on Christ, like literally, I love it that the scripture says to put on Christ. Through prayer, you're actually getting dressed every day. None of us would go out without getting dressed in physical form. And it's the same way in the the spiritual realm. Every day we we put on Christ and we spend time in his word and in prayer. And that's where we actually change. And the interesting thing about this is, is to believe that, prayer in this way actually changes more than hard, hard work and effort. So, so much of our life as Christians is spent trying to will against sin, trying to stop doing those things that we, we know we have to stop. And it's funny because we all read Romans when Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do, the things I do want to do I never do. It's like this. And all of us go, Ugh. and then we go, if Paul couldn't do it, then <laughs> what chance do I have? Um, and, and so it's funny that that what what I've discovered, and one of the things we try to really work hard on, is that the more you you try to will against a thing, the more it just dominates you. It's the strangest thing, and the more you just release that pressure and you just kind of burrow into God and His presence through prayer, the more those things just start to go away. I mean, it's it's the craziest thing that it's like the uh, the end around attack, right? It's like full-on frontal assault through your will is never going to defeat Satan and the flaming arrows that the Bible talks about. It's just never going to happen. He's more powerful than you are, and he's more powerful than you will ever be. So you're not ever going to reach a point where you can just take him head on. The Spirit of God in you gives you power over Satan, over death, over all these things. Um, And so it's funny to try to convince people to say, "If, if you would just stop trying to not do that thing and start trying to really be in the word every day to experience the presence, what will happen is your desires will change. So God wants to change your desires, not change your actions. Your desires inform your actions every single day. You do what you want to do. And if you're doing that thing, it's because some part of you wants it. So what you have to do is not say, oh, I just got to change that action. You got to say, God, would you change my desire? I mean, at my core, I don't want that thing. But the old man and the new man are in there just slugging it out. (laughs) And I'm losing, right? And so we have to convince ourselves that that prayer is actually where we spiritually change, where real transformation happens. And uh, the Bible talks about sanctification. It talks about these things. And I'm not saying that um, prayer will change it right away or that it will always happen like that. But I know your best chance for your life to transform is to spend more and more time in God's presence, allowing him to change you more and more time in God's word. Romans 12, right? Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I love, then you will know what God's will is, right? So much of us are searching for God's will. And it's like, well, okay, (laughs) here's the start. Um, Last one. Prayer is necessary because without it we cannot attain the meaning of life, the end and purpose of our existence. Uh, I love this. He says, becoming saints is the meaning of life. It is why we exist. It is why God created us. So this is what I'll say. When he says saint, so becoming the human being that God created you to be is your purpose in life. And, and that isn't about anything about your unique gifts, talents, and abilities, right? We're not in the self-esteem movement, that we we'll all get medals, and you get medals for participation. And, you know, nobody gets spanked and all this stuff. Like, you know, I mean, it's not like, it's literally God created you to be the human being he wanted you to be, that he wants all of us to be. Um, so God put Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, he put them together. They got married. He says, be fruitful and multiply apply, and you'll have dominion over the earth and you'll subdue it. So it's like God put human beings in the world to worship him and to reflect his image and to create a culture that honors God. That, that's our job. I mean, it's literally so deep in us um, that we do it without even knowing it sometimes, this desire to create, this desire to build, this desire to add to the world. Um, and so all the ways that you see that perverted is, is sin, the desire to dominate, right, rather, rather than have dominion in a way that, that's like holy and just and righteous. And so you have to start to understand that prayer is literally the reason God put us here. Love it. So if you read the creation account, go back if you get a chance sometime tonight or maybe in the next week or so, go back and read the creation account and, and look at how God basically created a sanctuary for worship. It's like the whole world is a sanctuary created by God for humans to inhabit and to worship him and to reflect his image into the world. What a cool thing. <laughs> and so literally, that didn't change with the fall. And it didn't change with Jesus' death on the cross and the, and the commissioning of the church. Actually, what Jesus did is give, gives us the chance to actually live into that call. So before that, we were dead in sin. We had no ability to please God or to perform the task that he had given us through Jesus' death there's resurrection, the power, we actually have the ability to do that. And prayer is a central part. Um, it's the first step to becoming who we are meant to be. Um, so just kind of wrapping up. I love that he says, you don't have to master some mystical method. You don't have to master any method at all. Can you talk to a friend? Then you can talk to God, for he is your friend, and that is what prayer is. I love that. Just so simple. Um, and he gives just an idea. He says three things. He says, stop, look, and listen. All right? So it's kind of what you do at a train crossing. Right? Stop, you look, you listen. And the funny thing is he uses that analogy, and he says the only key here is, is God is the train, and you hope you get hit by him. Right? Uh, and so, but you think about that. That's what prayer is. You stop. You look, like you look at God, you look for God. So when you go on a walk around here, just start looking for God, and you'll see him. I mean, it's crazy. You'll see him, and in, in, in not that he inhabits these things, but these things reflect his nature. In the trees, in the sky, in the mountains, in the water. Those things aren't God, but they reflect the beauty, the creativity, the care of God for you. He put these things here to, like cause worship to bubble up in you. What a cool thing. Stop, look, and listen. And um, so what's happened in my life, just to give you a personal example, is, is just kind of the idea of abiding through prayer is literally to stop trying to create anything through prayer or trying to, like, perform. But, like, my best um, times in prayer are on my porch with a coffee and with the Bible, and I'll just read and sit and I love when he when Moses and he says I'll give you my presence and you will find rest. My best prayer is just when I'm resting in God. I'm abiding in him, not performing, I'm not grasping, I'm not striving. And it's amazing how God speaks to me when I'll stop, look and listen and just abide in him. And so I think we all have to have those moments and the hard thing is that it takes work to get to that point because you have to have the time. You have to set it aside, right? You have to, you have to find a place where you can do that. Um, but it should be once you get to that place, the work ceases and you find rest. You find, and in rest, you find renewal. And, and one of the things that changed my life about this is when Jesus was baptized, it's the coolest thing ever. Jesus comes out of obscurity, right, 30 years just being a normal Jewish boy, working for his dad, doing everything that all the little boys did before, learned a trade, learned the Bible, kind of lived the life of a village peasant, shows up at John the Baptist. John the Baptist looks at him and says, Look, there's the Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. He baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water, and a voice comes from heaven. Look, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He had done Nothing of his ministry at that point, right? Hadn't healed anybody, hadn't preached a sermon, hadn't done anything out of the ordinary but that every other person was required to do, which was to pray, to worship, to sacrifice, to give, live the life of of a Jewish person worshiping the one God of Israel. And God says, look, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And I love that. So it reminds me, every time I just show up to abide in Jesus to pray, To enter the presence, God looks at me and says, Look, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Not because I've accomplished or I've performed or anything else. He just says, I love you because you're mine. Um, And I think when you start to get that, you start, the the desire to show up just intensifies and strengthens. When you know that God's not disappointed, He's not ready to like go through the laundry list when you show up of what you did wrong. Um, And this is where we have to get. Uh, the cross, correct? I love it. The, the, on the cross, Jesus died for all sins at all times, right? So really, even the, the idea of asking Jesus forgiveness for your sins is kind of a weird thing because he already forgave them, right? He's not going to the cross again to forgive more. It's done. And, and so when you when you sin, it's not this thing that you, you go around beating yourself up about it. I mean, you literally, it's like falling down. You dust yourself off, right? And you're just going to get up, and, and God says, okay, let's go again, right? Let's try again. It's, and we rack ourselves with guilt. And, and I understand there's like real sin that has real effects and all of that, but I think the, the more you, you enter in, the more you understand that God, God is not condemnation, right? It's not about judgment. It's not about all those things. It's literally about freedom. I love it, that where the Spirit is, there is freedom. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. This idea of like, Presence of God, the power of God is always freedom, and if and if it's not, it's not Him. So I'll say that about the church you go to, the friends you're hanging around. If you're not free, God is not in that place, All right? If it's not creating freedom in your life, it's just not God. I mean, it's it's legalism, it's whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, so I just want to encourage you guys in that um, you don't have to wait until a certain age, certain stage, certain anything, uh, to become a prayer. Like I said, you have everything you'll ever need right now uh, to practice the presence of God, to practice in his presence. Um, And so I just want to encourage you to just start doing that. Set aside time, even if it's only five minutes in the morning. Just say, I'm going to get up before I do anything else. I'm going to open the word. I'm going to invite God's presence into my life, into my day. And what I know is that uh, through that, you'll start to see fruit, right? So in John 15, it talks about abide in me as, and I'll abide in you as I abide in the Father, all these things. Then he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Isn't that crazy? Nothing. Um, So it all starts in abiding, and through abiding, he creates fruit. And the cool thing about it is he creates fruit. You don't even have to worry about it. I mean, it's literally, you have to go around and say, i got to be fruitful, be, it's like when His presence is in you, it just happens, um, and that's the cool point. when you know God's working in your life and it's not you working, that's a pretty awesome place. And uh, so yeah, so I think I'm overtime probably. No, whoa, wait, how long did we have? Five forty-five. Oh my God. <laughs> Anyways, what's next? Uh, dinner. dinner at six. So I don't know if you guys want to ask any questions or talk back, that's cool. I'll be here hanging out, um, or you can just be dismissed. Um, so I don't know, does anybody have any questions, thoughts, or anything like that before we go? I'd hate to lose anything, but you don't have to. No pressure. Do you have something? Okay. You'll catch it at some point. I'll be, I'll be here. Thanks for being here, appreciate it.